What's up and welcome to Ask Father Josh, the podcast where I get to listen to your questions, pray with them, and hopefully respond in such a way that it's helpful for you to become a saint in your walk toward eternity. Uh, in this podcast season, I have one of my very good friends and co-workers in the vineyard, Deacon Michael Parker. Deacon Michael Parker, welcome to the show. I appreciate it, man. Thank you for having me, man. I'm excited, dude. It's so good to have <laughs> you here with me. This has just been last season, but as you know, you came up with your own questions, comments, critiques at www.assistionpress.com slash askfatherjosh. Uh, in, in this season, uh, Deacon Michael Parker and I, who were both Catholics, we're both clergy, uh, but we, we're different people, right? And so we're going to address your questions and respond to them in a way that's unique to our own perspectives. But they're both Catholic perspectives, but they're just different because we're different people. So Deacon Michael, because my audience doesn't know you just yet, the way I know you, uh, if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, how'd you become a deacon? Why? Sure, sure. Praise God. No, man. So yeah, y'all, uh, my name is Deacon Michael Parker, and as of right now, the youngest permanent deacon in the United States of America. But At one point, the youngest deacon in the whole world, That's correct? right, dude. Like As soon as my ordination hit, I was the youngest in the world, and that's, what, two years ago. So praise God, man. You know, the Lord is doing some great things with me, and I'm just so happy that he's used me as his vessel. But um, first and foremost, I do, I like to introduce myself as a husband. I am a husband of 10 years to my lovely wife, Javonda. I have two daughters at home. The oldest is nine. The youngest is six. Name is Jamaica and Michaela. If y'all notice, we kind of pushed our names together. We are a little conceited like that. But uh, yeah, as far as that, it's just my- And they're also, uh, your daughters are coming to Sacred Heart School. They are. They're coming to Sacred this Heart, dude. They're going to be here. Super excited to have them at our school. So, They'll be right across the street. Like, Daddy's going to be able to go over there and have lunch with them and be able to chill with them and just really rock and roll at Sacred Heart. So I am pumped, man. And, right, and right now you're also the full-time uh, area director for Vagabond Missions. That's right, Vagabond Missions. So the area director for this apostolate in Baton Rouge where our goal is to go out into the inner city to make sure that we're ministering and just loving the inner city teens. And literally, as of right now, y'all, this just started a few months back, and we're already starting to see like how the gospel is transforming the community so dude you got 20 kids coming here dude already 20 already from the neighborhood from the neighborhood that's crazy right around the corner we're walking from school dude to come here from capitol high shout out to capitol high Lions. i see y'all yeah so just for the, for the <laughs> listeners so the, the missionaries um they go to a public high school which is in the geographical boundary of the sacred heart of jesus church and as you know mm -hmm. I've, I've said this for the past five years six years now that as a pastor we're responsible not just for the people who are practicing catholics who are sitting in the pews mm -hmm. but as a pastor I'm responsible for every single person who lives within the geographical boundaries of the parish, whether they're Catholic, Protestant, atheist, agnostic, Muslim, Hindu, Jew, young, old, gay, straight, whatever. Like I am responsible to walk with them, help them all encounter Jesus Christ and draw them to the sacrament life of the church so they can become saints. And so we have a public high school in our geographical boundaries uh, where the majority of the students at that public high school, it's an inner city high school, are not Catholic. And some of them are, are unchurched altogether. They've never even uh, met, heard of Jesus before. Mm -hmm. And the missionaries go there five days a week and they feed them. And then now the kids are coming to our, our, our church every week and they're playing ball with Deacon Michael oh, yeah. and Kendrick and Sarah and Alana. And they're feeding them and eating meals with them. And then they're praying with them. And, uh, and, and last time y'all were together, y'all gave them some Bibles. And they That's just right. like, they lost. They're like, this is so amazing. Yes. Like, what is this? Yes. Like literally they have a hunger for it right now. They're like just yearning to learn more about Jesus. And it's, it's just really amazing to see how 
already like how the Lord's moving. So praise God. Y'all pray for us in this ministry. Pray for the entire organization for Vagabond Missions as we go out to do the Lord's will. So yeah, praise, praise God. God. Well, so we're super happy. So this, this season on and off throughout the, the semester, you're going to be a consistent guest. We're going to address yeah. a bunch of topics together. I'll do some solo shows. We'll do some joint shows together. But uh, before we get into all that, uh, as you know uh, from, from listening, uh, we always like to start the show off with a glory story. And so before we talk about how we walk with couples during their engagement process, which is our topic for today, I want to invite you to share with us a glory story. man so y'all the glory story that's popping up which i'm crazy that i'm doing this right now i love this right now but y'all it's it's such an honor to be a servant for the church right now and literally just in my role as a deacon right now to see the fact that sacramental marriages are happening that people are coming to the church and they're looking for god's blessing so that they can be a reflection of god's love so like for the past i want to say maybe like five or six months i've been getting like a a overflux and thanks be to god for that of calls from many parishioners that I've been walking with that I've just been seeing growing throughout the years in their faith as they, you know, have engagements and they've been asking me to either assist at the mass for their wedding or either be the officiant for their wedding. And truly, I am a romantic, I will tell you. And the thing is for me to actually sit and walk with these couples to learn their story, to give them like, you know, advice on what it is to be a married man, to be a married couple and to just be that sacramental sign of God's love. It is so awesome to just see that happen. And it culminates whenever we are into in front of the sanctuary together as they're declaring their vows and as me being a witness of the church, listening to them and offering that nuptial blessing. So my glory story Y'all, the church is still like being just driven by the fact that married couples are coming to the Lord and literally we are being that representation of God's love for the community. Have you, in your marriage preps, have you walked with anybody where during the process of marriage prep, you you saw a deeper conversion happening? Oh, absolutely. So like what I would see is that typically when people are starting to you know, ask those when we ask those questions at the beginning, you know, like in our PNI and everything, whenever we start having these conversations and like the gracious starts to overflow to where they're starting to think, okay, what am I supposed to do as a husband and, and wife? And literally what I would do is I would point them to the mindset of like, look, your role changes. As a husband, as a wife, what you do is your primary goal is to get your family to heaven. And then when that starts happening, it's like, hold up, everything in perspective changes. So at that point, you start seeing that they go deeper in prayer. They go deeper to the point of asking more about the sacraments, especially with some of the couples who are, are interfaith and everything. And what you would notice is that literally at those points is that as we're walking, as we're going deeper, as I challenge them to start praying together to date more and to start asking these uh, difficult questions as leading into your marriage, 
Oh, conversion happens, brother. So it yeah. is awesome. It is awesome. Well, that is a glorious story indeed. So the, the church is still alive and people are still coming for the sacrament mm-hmm. of matrimony. And that is a gift because uh, the family is the path toward heaven for, for so many of us, right? So uh, now let's go ahead and uh, jump into today's show. So today's topic is we're going to address some of the top priorities for engagement. So whenever a couple is engaged, uh, what are things that they need to make sure are their their priorities? And and I'll be completely honest, in this season of of my priesthood deacon, I really don't walk with couples in marriage prep right now. Mm -hmm. So we have two deacons here at the parish and just as as responsibilities have become to the max for me here right. at the parish with the mm-hmm. church Absolutely. and the school and the, the mission, and I'm still the director of vocations and mm-hmm. there's a, a million other things. So uh, we have two married deacons at the parish who have been walking with the couples in the marriage prep process. And then I'll go to eat with the couples and I'll just like do check-ins, but I just, I don't have the capacity to be able to to do marriage prep right now. And so mm-hmm. blessed be God, we have so many deacons at the parish who are able to walk with the couples. And we have a lot of married couples also who are sponsor couples, mm-hmm. but they're also walking with them. So I have not so much been in the game for the past <laughs> year or about the past year, year and a half. Uh, so this is really something that I want you to tackle. And then I'm going to chime in with my little bits of, you know, <laughs> of your knowledge that you got. Yeah. There. Been, yeah. Ten, 10 years, 11 years of ministry yes, now. So yes. there, there, there's some, some knowledge, but, but you're a married man and you see so you have a different perspective from me as a, right. as a celibate man. Mm-hmm. No, man. So it's, it's awesome. Cause the first thing that happened is that you would hear like, okay, you even see like on social media that people would start their engagement. They're, they're engaged. As a matter of fact, I know like one of the high points is usually around Christmas time and New Year's Eve that usually people will pop the question for that. And the greatest thing about it is whenever you start hearing the calls coming into the church parish saying like, okay, we want to set a date. We want to see what's possible for that. Now, ideally, uh, the thing Wait, is- Which is, really, which is cool, because I think that it's, a, it's an opportunity for evangelization. Absolutely. Like for, for us as church, like when mm-hmm. we have people coming to us- mm-hmm. This is our opportunity. Like they are coming to us and they're going to be coming to us for at least six months. Exactly. And so a lot of parishes, they get very formal and they do like the paperwork. Mm-hmm. And but as opposed to saying like, hey, let's invite them to a Bible study. Let's invite this couple to do a retreat or if mm-hmm. we have a mission coming up like to make sure they get plugged into the community so that way they can. Yeah, have a conversion during the process. Right, because that's and as typically what happens whenever they're coming in, and which is unfortunate, but it is we see this commonly, right? So more than likely, sometimes when they're coming to the church for this for the wedding for the marriage, uh, to be blessed with the nuptial blessing and everything, the last form of catechesis or things that they may have done in the church may have been confirmation. Yeah. So literally, they have been gone for that long, and it's like, okay, well, wait, you know, I'm. We're happy that you're back. That's the first thing that we need to think. Like, thanks be to God you're back. You didn't think about, okay, I'm going to just go run to the Justice of Peace. Right. I'm going to have a beach wedding or something some, like some that. Some of these couples have literally got confirmed and Absolutely. left church altogether. Exactly. And now they're 
married or engaged. And mm-hmm. so it's tradition in our family to get married in a Catholic church. Right. And so like we, we could talk about the top priorities for the engaged couple, but for, for us as, as clergy, exactly. our top priorities are this couple is like, they're, we didn't have to go to, go to, go to them at all. Exactly. They came to our us. Mm-hmm. So what are we going to do? To keep them. Yeah, to evangelize <laughs> to them. To evangelize them. And, and, exactly. and recognize that they're probably, most of them that are coming to us right. are not, Living as saints already. Exactly. They're living as ain'ts, right? Exactly. They're, they're, they're saints and as ain'ts. And, they're, and they're, right now, they're, they're in the ain'ts category, right? <laughs> it's true. You're right. And so true. we shouldn't expect them to be like all on fire for Jesus right now, but that's right. our goal. Mm-hmm. Our goal is exactly. to, to minister to them mm-hmm. and to, to invite them to have these encounters with the Lord right. during this process. Because I do believe the Lord will hold us accountable as, as clergy oh, absolutely. and as churches absolutely. For, for what we did and did not do with all these people who have come to us. Right. Uh, and so there, there's no reason why a couple who starts marriage prep with us should shouldn't be plugged in the church after six months because we literally had six months to intentionally meet with them, to walk with them. And if you know, if we ain't doing our job, then the Lord holds us accountable for that. Exactly, man. So no, I, And that's why I, like, I, I take it so seriously because it's like, okay, at this point, when they're in the office, it's like, where's the joy? Like, to make sure that they hear the joy of the gospel, to see, like, to pray together, to just set the precedent as soon as they walk in and they're sitting down and they hear a, a prayer just to bless their union, to ask for God to walk with them throughout this entire time. And literally, I know... Often, whenever I say those prayers, they look up and they're like, "Whoa! Like, <laughs> okay, we're we're here. We're about to enter into something special." Yes, you're right. Mm-hmm. You're about to be a sacrament, like a sacramental sign of God's love. So, literally at that point, we're talking. I mean, we're having these conversations, and we start asking. I, I basically I want to know their love story as soon yeah. as I do it, because again, I'm a romantic. And whenever I'm starting to hear how they met, you do and, have that voice, like you should be like, like on the radio, a secular <laughs> DJ. <laughs> Smooth, Deacon Michael Parker. Smooth, Deacon Michael. Oh, I'm just right here waiting for Deacon you. Deacon yeah, Come on in. Deacon Love. <laughs> Dude, you crazy. <laughs> no, man, but that's that's it, man. Like, it's just, it's that moment to where we're sitting down and, I mean, we're relaxing. We're having laughs. We're singing some songs. So, look, the DJ does come out in me there whenever we start doing that. So, Deacon Michael but, Parker, every, <laughs> every year for my uh, my birthday party, I, I birthday parties again as an adult. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You have the octave. It's the the octave. octave. We have eight days, eight days of celebration. We do, and Deacon Michael Parker, one of my best friends, uh, mm-hmm. we call him De- Deacon DJ Servant, mm-hmm. and, and he DJs, and uh, it, it goes down. Right? It goes down. It's a party, man. Well, it's you just DJ for the recent. Um, Advent party we did for the parish and school and all the nuns were here. They were, and man. we were all line dancing. We did. We did. The- in Baton Rouge, we do this dance. It's called Zydeco, man, and it's a Zydeco step. And it was awesome to see the sisters doing that as well. I mean, again, just joy. Nothing nothing bad about it. Just literally just having fun together. And it's just celebrating the fact that we're in the season of preparation. So so the couple's now in your office. Yeah. So You're asking the love story. Yeah. So asking the love stories, we start just getting down to it. And, and then uh, I just literally at that point, when I'm hearing those stories, I'm like, you can just tell that the Lord is present. I mean, everyone has a story, but they'd be surprised if they could just take a step back and just look into their lives. And I'm like, y'all, do y'all realize the Lord is present there? So then at that point, we start asking the questions of our church and everything just to make sure that we're aligning to the fact that they can be in the right form in order for them to be married. So, right, so in that part of the marriage prayer process, you ask them, are y'all brother and sister? Oh, yeah, all Did that. you abduct her? Did exactly. he abduct you? Yes. Uh, did, did you kill, kill their boy, ex-boyfriend? That's right. Everybody be laughing. Like, <laughs> they oh, you do, see? and I do it with a serious face, man. They're oh, yeah. like, and I have to show them, like, look, no, it's seriously here. The church has it there for a reason. Like, I think it was my canon lawyer teacher that said, look, if you see these things, if these rules or these things, 
things that are lied in these uh, descriptions, the reason why they're there is because more than likely it's happened before. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, again, the church is legit. It's not just trying to put you through the ringer, but, again, they're trying to make sure that you're entering into this marriage, again, without coercion and, you know, on your own will. So praise God for that. But then, like I said, we meet with them. Then I do have to separate them to ask them questions privately uh, just to make sure that, again, they're not being doing this against their will of being forced to do so. And then from that point, we gather back together, and that's when the challenges come Yeah, to start getting ready for prep and the priorities for their engagement. So, I always tell couples mm-hmm. when I used to, well, again, because my deacons do the, the primary prep now, but I still right. have dinner with the couples and, and meet with them there, uh, is right letters to convents mm. and ask cloistered nuns to pray for you. Wow. And most of them are like, what's a cloistered nun? I'm uh-huh. like, this is, it's a, again, it's a way to connect them with the church. The church is way bigger than our little parish right here. Mm-hmm. And so there are cloistered convents all over the world where women are married to Jesus. And they're so in love with Jesus that they have left everything to be brides of Christ behind a cloister that they never leave for the rest of their lives. And they want to pray for us, all mm-hmm. of us. And so when I became pastor, where you and I first started working together, you Years ago was right. at the last parish that I was at. You're still the deacon there. Mm-hmm. Um, Holy Rosary, great, great parish. Love those people. It was right. a gift to be there. But before I began my term as pastor, I wrote a letter to closer Carmelite sisters mm-hmm. and I asked them to adopt the parish and me as a pastor. And we saw so much supernatural fruit happen that I was able to attribute to the prayers of intercession of those nuns. Wow. So I tell couples that like, look, you're about to get married. And marriage is a sacrament. Mm -hmm. The devil hates sacraments. The devil is going to attack you so much to prevent this sacrament from happening. And if Mm -hmm. it does happen, he's going to attack you even more because now you're living in the grace of God. So you've got to have protection because it is serious. And this is what Lady Fatima, she said, this battle of our times is a battle against the family. And and nuns, they, and friars, and all people want to pray, like, like, give them work to do. They, right. That's their work. That's their job. They want to pray. So tell them what to pray for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and you will notice in your life, wow, some, some struggles that we had before, uh, they're not so much a battle anymore because that, that spiritual battle that's happening from the nuns who are protecting you. And so as you're meeting with the couples, after you go through all the paperwork, whatever, mm-hmm. what are some of the priorities that you encourage them uh, to make sure that they are uh, are living in that season of their life as an engaged couple. So I mean, first thing is I, I call them to prayer, and it's it's very um, it's very like seldom that I would get someone that comes in and they're already like already developed in their prayer journey. And I mean, to be honest with you, um, even after I was married to my lovely wife Javonda, I remember that there was a. There was a friend of ours, and thanks be to God for that person, They she asked us, she was like, do y'all pray together as husband and wife? And mm. I remember, like, at that point, we were praying separately, but whenever she challenged that, like, literally, I can just feel like the Lord was using her to say, like, we should, as a couple, as one, uh, be able to share in prayer together. So what does that look like? So now it's like, it's okay, as we are gathering up, like, early in the morning, like, literally, we are praying, and praying for each other, and it's out loud, it's vocal, and it's to the point where we're hearing the fact that okay we're praying for the intentions on us to persevere like in our daily um, careers and things of that nature to make sure that we're a great husband and wife towards each other a good mother and father but the mindset is you, you as one 
you should be able to share a prayer together. And what that has happened is that we've grown even deeper mm-hmm. in our faith because of that. So now, so, now some people, mm-hmm. they're not like, some people are introverts. Yes. And so they might feel really awkward about spontaneous. And some people, especially in the Catholic church, right. uh, they might be really used to uh, rote prayers right. and not spontaneous prayers. Mm-hmm. And so for them, would you encourage like maybe like, a, a rosary together Absolutely. or the liturgy of the hours Absolutely. or some kind of rope prayer. That way they're still praying together, mm-hmm. but it's not awkward for them because not everybody is comfortable with spontaneous prayers. Exactly. No, I, I would highly recommend. As a matter of fact, what I noticed at many of the domestic church groups is that they have the set nights throughout the week to where their entire family will pray the rosary together. And of course, like St. Padre Pio, he says that the rosary is the weapon of our times. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like to pray the rosary, to do that, I mean, yes, like you're just bringing so much grace upon your family and trusting that to our lady to bring to her son and I mean it's it's why not give your family that opportunity to um, just be able to again be recipients of that of that grace that you know, she brings to her son are, and, are the couples that whenever you encourage them to start praying mm-hmm. are they is do you check in on them and and, and see are they praying do you hold them accountable to it because even for me when I first entered seminary mm-hmm. I had encounters with God at conferences and uh, I, I went to adoration but I didn't know what I was doing. Right. I didn't really know how to pray for mm-hmm. even a few years as a seminarian. I didn't really grasp what Lexio Divino was. I, right. I had scripture. I was reading it, but I didn't know what to do with it. <laughs> I was saying the the Hail Marys, but I really wasn't meditating on the mysteries. Right. And I was a seminarian. It was my first year. So <laughs> I, and I was trying to do the, do the, do the thing. Right, right. And so do you teach them in the in, in the in the session and mm-hmm. then do you check up on them? like what's that look like because I can imagine some couples again they might not be disciples of Jesus right, right now and or they might be interfaith couples and one person might be the the, the church person another person mm-hmm. just might be in love with that church person and so yeah and obviously you and I we both know that prayer is essential to to our perseverance and our right. vocations and our ministries. So what does that look like? What kind of a responsibility do other ministers have when accompanying these couples? So no, what I do is, um, cause we meet all throughout those six months, right? Yeah. So I have to do like a temp check on them and I'm like, okay, well how's your prayer life going? And they will either say like, tell me the regimen of what they're doing and how they're doing it. I want to know, you know, pretty much as specific as they can give to me at that point. But then also just the mindset of like, Hey, um, Y'all are at this parish that I'm at. I should see you at mass too. Come like, on. Let's let's see you at mass. And at that point, I mean, the mass is the highest form of prayer. So I mean, for them to be engaged there, to be in community, and to, I mean, to be able to converse afterwards and fellowship with other married couples yeah. in the parish. And I mean, that's that's you know effective. The fact that they are in a community yeah. to start seeing like this is where we're going to foster our relationship with the Lord. So it's the idea of saying like, okay, I see you here for this meeting. But now if with you becoming that sacrament, let's see you start to live out that call. It's, uh, yeah. you know, it's like the don't, mindset. Don't, don't you have, you have couples that go to mass with them, don't you? Sometimes oh, yeah. they give them where they, they get assigned a couple who will go to work, exactly. worship with them. Mm-hmm. So like even if they have their mentor couples, the mentor couples will kind of meet with them maybe three times throughout that uh, period. But they will go sit with them. They will sit with them, sit with their children. They would um, just... Like, it's almost as a point of, like, really bringing them into the church and saying, like, hey, welcome. Like, this is your family, especially if they've been gone away for so long, but also just to give them a level of ease of knowing, like, no, this is your home. This is the place where you belong. Come on. So it's uh, it's really a beautiful process of that, too, just to be able to go deeper and foster that prayer life. I think it's really cool that— um, you're inviting them to, to prioritize prayer first because mm-hmm. prayer isn't just for us clergy. Correct. It's not just for the religious sisters. It's not just for the monks and the nuns. Like, prayer is something that every single Christian 
is called to participate in. It, it is our relationship with God. And so we're all called to holiness, uh, mm-hmm. this universal call. Every Everybody mm-hmm. is called to a deep, profound prayer life. Amen. And, and, and it, the graces are available to all of us. And so that's really beautiful that the very first thing you invite them to as a secular couple, right, living in the world, mm-hmm. um, is the interior life. Now, what's the next thing that you would encourage them to so do? So the next thing is um, we'll look towards marriage counseling. And the thing is, I, I always kind of have the analogy of like, uh, I'm a big sports fan, right? So one of the things I used to watch uh, on like HBO was like Hard Knocks uh, football training camp. And what I would notice about that is you have to start making sure you're preparing before you enter into like the season. So the entire point of these players or football players going into training camp was to make sure they're practicing, to make sure any obstacles that's coming their way, that they are able to know how to deflect that and everything else. So the idea of marriage counseling is, again, to be proactive, to make sure that once you go into this level of, well, into this sacramental marriage, is that you have ways of knowing how to make sure you enter into it well and to make sure that you are, um, again, immersed in prayer, that you uh, have a routine of understanding that these are the obstacles that may potentially pop up. Knowing your family uh, history, oh, family all, hi- that all that, how, all that, all the Because what, what I used to see when I, when I used to do it was <laughs> I, I would see that you, you deal with drama differently depending on your family. Like mm-hmm. some families, in my family, whenever we had drama, right. we would fight, mm-hmm. and the next day we didn't talk about it. Right. And so that's how I grew up. Mm-hmm. So when I would go to seminary, if I had conflict with a seminarian, yeah. I, would, I might josh him, right? <laughs> and you know when I say what I josh, like I'll, right. I'll, I'll flash on you real quick. And the next day, we're cool. We're cool. And, we're and he's good. like, whoa, what? We, need to, we need to talk about it. I'm like, right. talk about what? For what? Exactly. Like we're, we, we, <laughs> we had to get the it's fight. Done. It's good. I, I forgive you. Forgive me. Let's move on. He's like, no, we got to right. process. I don't want to process it. What you talking about processing? <laughs> we don't process stuff in my family. It's, right, just, right. it's a no, thing. It's, it's, and so we, we have to recognize that whenever we come from different families, we have different ways of dealing with exactly, stuff, exactly, uh, of man. communicating, and, and counseling is going to help us to like learn how to better communicate, exactly, right? Exactly. No, I, I know there was a couple of recently that just they they just kind of realized this, and it was like his family, same thing. The family they just they don't talk about it after conflict happens, and then the wife is like, no, but literally we have to sit down and talk about this. And that started like a little turmoil, even in the early stages yeah. of their marriage. Yeah. And that's when I had to kind of pull back and say, remember, like in this process that y'all are becoming one and y'all have to learn how to deal with these things and understand that there's a compromise between the two to make sure that this kid's carried out well. Counseling is good and normal. Mm-hmm. And so Absolutely. we don't have to go to therapy just whenever problems arise. Mm-hmm. We can we can go to therapy before they arise so that we can have tools when they arise of how to deal with them and how to approach them. And so uh, I encourage all people, if you can, if you have access to counselors, to therapists, mm-hmm. then please, like, and, and don't look at your priest or your deacon no. as your counselor or therapist <laughs> unless they went to school for that. Right. Because we ain't counselors. No, man, we got, we, spiritual ain't we got some spiritual advice, but no, we can't. Right, we can pray for you, and, and we can give you some practical tools of what we've learned in ministry over the years, but we ain't counselors. No, like we, we're, we're here to help you spiritually and pastorally, but there are people who have gifts in the body of Christ, who are trained in the body of Christ, who can accompany you. And some of the holiest people I know Right. Nuns, married couples, single folk, divorced, widowed, priest sisters all have counselors Amen. and therapists. And Amen. so it's completely normal to have a therapist um, and to do Very it before normal. you get married as well. Amen. Amen. So no, that's... so you get the spiritual life down, you get the, the therapy down. Mm-hmm. And then what, what's something else that you, all, you like to prioritize? So then we're going towards like the relationships too, right? So one of the things is that you do realize as a 
husband and a wife is that you do have to know your in-laws. Um, and that's also something just to make sure that you're expecting because one of the big struggles is like in the holidays, everyone laughs about it, especially as newlyweds. You have to make sure you split your time between the two and everybody's going to feel like they're not getting enough time as far as like the groom's parents and the wife's parents or the, their side of the family. And you have to be able to you know, cooperate with those personalities. But then even after that, too, it's just daily living, like the relationship with the siblings of your wife, the siblings of your husband, the relationship between their parents. You need to be able to build bonds with them to understand that as you are entering into that marriage, again, you become a son-in-law, a daughter-in-law, and should be looked at as such. And to start to have that trust and mindset of knowing how the relationship is going to work out between your in-laws. So yeah, yeah, definitely at that point, it's like if you don't have a relationship with them, you should start getting a relationship with them because again, this is your family. Correct. Mm -hmm. Correct. That's your family now. That's right. And then uh, I forgot to mention this, but one thing that I I would always tell young engaged couples is is to develop not only friendship with your family, the in-laws, but with other married couples. Absolutely. Because sometimes whenever problems arise, mm-hmm. somebody who's not married oh, man. might say, oh, we'll just leave. Right. Walk away. Yeah, you deserve better. Right. As opposed to a, a, a married couple who's been a married couple for a long time, who's mm-hmm. been through the struggle, who's gone through difficult seasons, who can encourage you. Look, right. it is very hard. But <laughs> you got to stay. Absolutely. No, like I, um, one of the things I love to do, especially after the weddings, uh, for like especially the guys who I know that becoming husbands, but especially with me as an officiant, I love to like take our picture with our rings and holding them up as we're like, oh, man, we're, we're husbands now. And it's just like you've entered the husband club because the thing is at that point, and I tell them all the time, it's like, again, you can't take advice from a single man. Mm-hmm. They don't know what it is to be a married man. They don't know the attacks that comes on a union like that because, again, the enemy tries to come in to see killing destroy so yeah this process of like being a husband uh, it it tends to go well when you're in community with other husbands who know what it is to provide who knows what it is to be a uh, a shoulder to cry on or to also just lean heavily upon your wife so they have to be able to be in community with others that's right now what do you tell people whenever somebody approaches you marriage prep and you mm-hmm. do the P&I and you look at their address and you're like, oh, snap. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I see one address here. Right. Uh, uh, what's up with this? So, yeah, that's <laughs> I, at that point, it's that's when it, it gets a little awkward, right? Because obviously that's one of those things that, you know, we don't want to, I won't say we don't want to address, we don't want to be that point of like pushing them away completely to where it's like, why do they care about where we're staying at? Because many um, of them have not been evangelized. Exactly. Yet, right? they, so they, these are the, people who grew up in the church. Exactly. They've been sacramentalized. Right. They even have been potentially maybe catechized, mm-hmm. but they've not yet had an encounter with Jesus. Exactly. And so if you don't have a relationship with like a real deep relationship with Jesus, then you're not going to care about the rules of the church. Exactly. And you might not know the rules mm-hmm. because some of their parents bought their house that they're living in together exactly. now. And so their parents are like, oh, it's totally fine right. for right. you to shack up. Right, exactly. Cohabitate, it's all that. So no, it's it's at that point, it's, I ask the question, it's like, are you living together? And you would hope that they're not, they're going to be honest and true about it because I, I definitely ask for that. I'm like, y'all, let's just put it all out on the table. Let's enter into this well. Mm-hmm. And at that point, if they say that they're cohabitating, I'll just say, well, look, this is what the world tells you, right? It's like at the at that point, you're like, okay, financially, it's just smarter to stay together. And while that could be 
understandable from the world perspective. You have to start thinking more about the fact on what it is that you're entering into. If you're cohabitating, you're putting yourself in the occasion of sin. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I'm saying that is because just the fact of temptation, of being around each other. And you're scandalizing other people. I had a couple who Mm -hmm. they were living together Mm -hmm. and they were living as brother and sister Mm -hmm. during their engagement period. They were a holy couple. They went to mass all the time. They prayed together. Mm -hmm. They fasted. Like They were a very good holy couple who for financial reasons were were living together during their engagement period, living mm-hmm. as brother and sister. But I told him, I said, look, I get it. Like what you're doing, like I know that y'all aren't hooking up. Right. But I'm telling you, other people don't know that. Exactly. And it came home when one day someone else came up uh, to to them, mm-hmm. another parishioner wow. who now is living with her boyfriend. See, yeah. And she said, well, they were, y- were y'all doing it? <laughs> and they told her, I said, oh, no, 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 no. We're, we're living as brother and sister. Right. And she said, Oh, you I couldn't tell. That. Yeah, exactly. And so she saw this holy couple at mass mm-hmm. who was living together. And so she thought, well, because they can do it and they're close to Father Josh. Mm-hmm. And that means that me and my boyfriend could do it. Exactly. And so I went ahead and talked to her. I said, look, I said, that, I, I do not endorse that like, right, at all. Exactly. Like, so, no, man. No. But, so we have to even be aware of even if we're not, if we're able to live as brother and sister during the engagement period. Right. I, what is being communicated to, to the world by that mm-hmm, as mm-hmm. well. So there's, there's, there's just, it's a reality we got to be aware of. Got to, man. Like I said, people are looking at you and you are a sign, a sign of God's love or entering into that. So, so do you it, encourage them be, to like live apart from each other? Absolutely. So the first thing I'll do is like, if you could, man, like, I mean, could you stay at someone's house? I mean, a uh, husband, go back or fiance, the male fiance, could you go back home to your mother, to your parents, stay there? A friend's um, house. Yeah, a friend's house. I mean, something that's, you know, ideally to where you can have the separation between the two and like I said you, you said as, as far as like that couple they were living as brother and sister that would have to be like the last resort for it because mm-hmm. it's like of course again as human beings like there is a borderline of temptation there um, if you are staying and cohabitating with each other so yeah. it is an awkward conversation but again it's, it's encouraging right to yes. confession like if, Absolutely. if you do fall right like receive the come come receive mm-hmm. the sacrament reconciliation Absolutely. but again when you say I'm going to avoid the near occasion of sin take right. that serious and right. so what are you really going to do to try to avoid the near occasion of falling to this sin again exactly. going forward and so this is where this is where the church community should be a church and this again this is not just What's the top priority for the couple? Right. But top priorities for our parishes. Are there are there people in the church, elderly couples, who have a house, who they have extra bedrooms, who they could say, all right, our ministry in this church will be, oh, we will provide a, a room in our home during the engagement period if the couple's living together. I love that. way that. the couple can still pay their bills in the house together, but only one person lives in the house, other person goes to this, this, this couple's house. And Amen. so this is like where we have to get creative as a church and say, right. what are we doing to a company? Like what are, if marriage and family life is a priority for our parish, then how is our parish providing ways for couples to be saints, to become saints, to have encounters with Jesus. And I remember you mentioned at the beginning of the show about the the, the joy that they would see. Who's the receptionist of your parish? Is that person joyful? Oh, yes, absolutely. When when that couple comes in the office for the first time, Mm -hmm. that receptionist represents Jesus. Right. And so is that person hospitable? Are they welcoming? Mm -hmm. Are are they nice? Are they kind? Are they ready to walk with with a couple in the midst of their mess? So I think that there are priorities that we should all have. Um, for as couples, but also as parishes, we have a responsibility. The Lord is going to say, why didn't you do this mm-hmm. for this couple? Why didn't you accommodate them and make a way for them to uh, have an encounter with me and to be in a state of grace? And so mm-hmm. we are responsible. With that being said, we're going to take a break and when we come back, we're going to talk about a couple who are both on the process of becoming 
canonized saints. Amen. Hi, I'm Jeff Cavins, and I'm excited to introduce you to the Ascension app. It contains the full text of the Great Adventure Bible, the full text of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, and both the Bible and Catechism in a Year podcasts. The app has special features that make the connections between the Bible and the Catechism crystal clear, like color-coded crosslinks and easy navigation. It also answers nearly 1,000 questions from Bible in a Year listeners about the Bible with videos from myself and others, also audio clips and excerpts from Ascension's popular books. To download the app, simply go to the App Store on your phone and search Ascension. I hope you enjoy it. I enjoy it. Carry it around everywhere I go. And we are back. There's a place that I've, I've never been that I really want to go. And it's the motherland. <laughs> I want to go to Africa, bro. You so know, bad. Man. Me too, man. Uh, I, years ago, I almost went on a mission to Africa. Uh-huh. And it was between Africa and uh, Calcutta with Mother Teresa's nuns. Yeah. And so, obviously, Mother Teresa is one of my patron saints. Mm-hmm. So she went out. And I'm so glad it was that because it ended up being a very transformative experience for me. Right. But uh, in Africa, there's one of my favorite apparitions, which is Our Lady of Cabejo. Cabejo, bro. She's in, in my chapel upstairs where you were praying this oh, morning man, for Alyssa Sacrament. That's right. I have a huge statue of, of Our Lady of Cabejo from, from Cabejo. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I got it from my friend Angel, who got it from Immaculate. And so, uh, yeah, I just I love Our Lady of Cabello. I really want to go there. It's a powerful apparition. Uh, stay tuned. This season, I'm actually talking about another apparition, or alleged apparition, that That's we're right. going to dive into. So Ooh. stay tuned for that. <laughs> but yeah, but in Africa, Our Lady appeared in Cabello, and she, she essentially prophesied about the Rwanda genocide. Now, mm-hmm. the, the couple who they are both on their path to becoming saints uh, right now in the church are Cyprian and Daphros Rugumba. Mm-hmm. They're martyrs for our church. Uh, Cyprian and Daphros were both Catholic. And uh, at some point, he uh, was scandalized by the church. And so even though they had a Catholic marriage, he did not practice the faith at all. And so here she was. She was faithful. She was going to mass. She was praying her rosary. She was going to adoration. And he was just mean. And he had uh, a a resistance to all things Catholic. Uh, He despised her faith. Um, He wasn't faithful to their vows of a matrimony, he cheated yeah. on her. Mm. Uh, and so he embarrassed her throughout their community, uh, but she nonetheless continued to pray for him. He eventually got another woman pregnant, wow. which was just super hard for, for her. It broke her heart. Again, she prayed for him mm-hmm. and she fasted for him and she took her vows seriously. Like she saw him as the one that she was going to fight for heaven. She right. said, I want him to get to heaven. I'm gonna keep fighting for him. I'm gonna keep praying for him. And then he got really sick. And when he got really sick, she was there to take care of him. Wow. And she served him. And he he noticed her her love. He noticed her compassion. He noticed her mercy, her forgiveness, the service she provided for him. And that pierced his heart. Yeah. But it wasn't until he experienced like a miracle, a legit miraculous healing that finally he came all the way back in. Wow. And so now he's back in the church. He goes to confession. He starts praying with her. He starts leading the family in prayer. Uh, they they join uh, and help found a, a lay movement in, in uh, Rwanda. And then there's the this, this beef that's happening right now in, in Rwanda, not right now, at that time. Uh, and there's these different communities that are, are, are fighting with each other. And he speaks out for peace. Mm-hmm. And he speaks out against injustice and he speaks out for, for unity. And because he was so vocal and speaking out for, for that which is right, mm-hmm. uh, he and his family became a target. And mm-hmm. so they were, they were encouraged, leave, leave the village. It's not safe here. And he was like, no, like, we will stay 
and we will pray because I want to be a witness to love. And I want people to see like that, that God is real and that he wants us to live in community with each other. And so he and his wife and their kids, they prayed and they had um, access to the Blessed Sacrament in their home. The bishop gave them the opportunity to have the chapel in their home. Wow. And so they had adoration all night and praise and worship. And then they were all murdered. Oh. And when they were murdered, the, they, their bodies were found with, with particles of the Eucharist all over them. Their bodies mingled with the literal body, like the, the body blood, so the vineyard of Jesus wow. Christ. Because when, the, when they were, were murdered, the people who killed them, they shot the tabernacle up. And so the host flew everywhere. Mm. And so their, their, their bodies were mingled with the body of Christ. Um, and, and now they are on their path to becoming saints. Uh, and so uh, I encourage couples to not only get to know other really good married couples in their community, but get to know saints who are married couples who didn't have perfect marriages, but whose witness can inspire the couples that we're walking with uh, to, to not be mediocre, but to really strive for, for excellence, to strive for sainthood, to strive for Jesus. Amen. So we invite you, uh, servants of God, uh, Cyprian and Daphros Rugamba, to pray for us. That's it for today's show. Again, you can hit us up with comments and questions and critiques at www.assistionpress.com. Until next time, deuces. Later. <laughs>